Welcome to New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in relationships, grow in discipleship, and grow in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in our study of parables in the Gospel of Luke. These are stories Jesus used to apply the Gospel truths to the lives of Christians. So we ask you subscribe, join in, so that you don't miss a single Sunday. morning we're finishing our time uh, looking at the parables in Luke and this parable is the final parable recorded in the gospel of Luke and so I think for us we'll realize just like we sang that when we see him in glory the toils of life repay our reward is in heaven with Christ, it's not in this life. And so that's what we'll be speaking of this morning is really looking at the signs of the season, but it's very much concerned with the coming again of Christ. And so it's our parable is quite short, probably one of the shortest that we've looked at. It also is one that is probably explained in greatest depth in the scriptures. And so I'll read verse 5 through 36 just to give us the fullest context and what we'll need to really see the parable. And so I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now begin in Luke 21, beginning in verse 5. And as some spake of the temple and how it was adorned with goodly stones and gift, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be, and what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must come first, come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist." And ye shall be betrayed, both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed 
with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains and let them which are in the midst of it depart out and let not them that are in the countries enter therein For these be the days of vengeance that all these things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people." And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they show forth root, or when they now show forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare it shall come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Heavenly Father, we look to your coming. Lord, we ask that you meet with us now through your word and by your spirit that you ready us for what is to come. Father, we pray that you speak to us and reveal to us a portion of your will that would clarify what it is you've called us to do and who it is you've called us to be. Father, we pray that you would renew in us this morning a readiness for your coming, a longing for your coming. Lord, that you would even be with me as we handle this immense portion of Scripture, Lord, just looking to your teaching and how you prepare us even now. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.
So in case you didn't see it, our parable is there in verse 29 through 31. Behold the fig tree and all the trees when they now shoot forth. And you know that the summer is now at hand. And when you see these things come to pass, you know the kingdom of God is at hand. So I think that, that very short parable really sums up a lot of the signs that he gave that, that we read through before that. And then he gives us a bit of a to-do or application, what our response should be after that parable. And so I think Jesus himself has worked at length to explain this parable to us so that it's not lost on us. While the second coming of Christ has often been the source of great speculation and debate, sometimes shrouded in a certain level of mystery, I think Jesus has made quite clear the significance of this particular parable. And so I think ultimately it's that we must keep our eyes upon Jesus. We ought to, as this passage suggests, look up, lift our heads, for our redemption draws nigh. Interprets prophecy of things to come. And it does so by the way of the appearance of signs. So if you're following along in the bulletin, that's the outline in the back that we'll be using. A few fill in the blanks. So looking to this example, these signs that trees give forth, they bud out or sometimes they'll show a, a little bit of a green or even a red tint in the stems of the limbs. And we know, hey, they're fixing to bud out. Some of the seasons are changing. Well, there's going to be signs for us when we look to, to Christ's coming. Now, I think it's been sometimes wrongly interpreted by various preachers that might assume it is as if God is waiting on us to accomplish certain things so that Christ may return. One example is looking to the Scriptures and reading that every tongue will confess and of all the nations will bow the knee and they might assume that, well, Christ hasn't come back because we have not reached all of the nations. We need to remember these are signs, not causes. The, when, when the trees bud out, they don't effectually bring the summer. It's because the summer is already coming that these signs are showing forth. And so the same is true here. Mentioned here are early indicators about what we're about to experience in the fullness of His coming. God exercises full liberty in accomplishing His will. He's not depending on us. He gives us signs in His coming and what He is about to do. And so there's a few signs I think that we see. Remember, we're looking mainly at the, at the parable there, the signs of the changing of the seasons. There's no way we have time to, to dive into the, fully into all of what we read. Looking just at our parable, we want to look first at the signs. One is of international pestilence. Looking back to verse 10 and 11 maybe. 
Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Earthquakes in diverse places, famines, pestilences, fearful sights, great signs from heaven. We might presume on alliances being broken down, use of every faculty to rage against competing powers. The inhabitants of this world will get the short end of the stick meeting oppression from every angle, even through things like starvation. You know, I'm not going to pretend to predict for you the second coming of Christ according to the moons and stars, as some have tried in vain to do in the past. But I assure you, there is plenty to confirm that the world is in a growing state of unrest. Maybe here in America we haven't experienced some of the tumultuous times that are being experienced throughout the rest of the world. The difficulty in getting food amid lockdown and some of the brothers that we've heard from, the missionaries that we have are shared from, whether it be from the Philippians or Honduras, those in, that are being persecuted in India already, Even as we look at the news, international unions are being broken down or betrayed. Warfare has left the battlefield and entered more subtle avenues of economics, biology, posing threats with information, whether true or false, on various platforms, including social media. The news is being overtaken with economic turmoil, social unrest, and government distrust. I think that everything since the pandemic has taken place has just been in uproar. Even before this, there were public protests against national circumstance of every different kind, whether it was in Hong Kong or Italy or all over the place. We have political and and, and public turmoil in countries all across our planet. Even looking to the recent revelations uh, regarding this Epstein case, some crazy elite pedophile ring has really caused a a shakedown of numerous uh, dignitaries within governments and, and celebrities worldwide. As far as I can tell, we are seeing a sign of international pestilence. More than this, Christ tells us there's going to be a sign of local dysfunction. There in verse 16 and 17, he says, and you're going to be betrayed both by parents, brethren, kinsfolk, and friends. Family ties will be frustrated. Even common relationships will become strained. We've looked at other scriptures that show the sword of division that Christ brings. These are the the things that we can expect and look for. Maybe this explains the devilish tendency that we have to please people around us. So the coming of Christ isn't something simply that we're going to see the signs displayed for us on the news. It's going to affect our towns and our 
jobs and our home. And so I don't know, maybe you've noticed an increased polarization between those that are close to you. I know that the recent events have, uh, have revealed a number of differences among some friends of mine. In other ways, they've revealed areas of alignment that were surprising to me with others. And I don't know, I know a few of you are on social media. Maybe you could confess before us if you've had to thin your friends list recently. Yeah, there's a couple of nods. Yeah. But intermingled and along with these two signs, this unrest at large and at home is perhaps a greater indication of his coming and that is persecution unto death. He says in verse 12, but before all these, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues, prisons, brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, and even locally, some of those family and friends shall cause you to be put to death. Not just persecution, persecution unto death. And so we've already alluded this morning some of the persecution that's taken place within our own country. The last place, probably with the greatest freedoms, religious freedoms, are now at stake. There's a possibility, Christ says, or not a possibility, but He ensures that at His coming or prior to His coming that we will be delivered up and persecuted publicly, possibly before large audiences, and that you'll be persecuted privately within your homes and that those relationships will betray you even to death. You know, this passage <clears throat> seems to fly in the face of the presumption that believers are going to somehow be spared a tribulation. Instead, the biblical depiction of the Christian seems to be that of persecution. Our life is a life of persecution and death. Some people might look to verse 18, but there shall not a hair of your head perish and say that that's not true. But I ask, is Christ contradicting himself? He just promises us that some of us will be delivered and put up to death. No, I, I don't think it does. I think that that instead communicates the way that God fulfills his promise that we will not perish that eternal death. Many of us remember John 3.16 that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The reality is that you have eternal life and not eternal death. Not that we're not going to physically die. Instead, He tells us you will certainly die. You'll be persecuted unto death. 
and yet I will save you from the death which is far worse. One major service I think the pandemic has provided us is to remind us that we're human. It's kept death before our eyes, having daily reports of, of, of deaths that really honestly uh, are not catastrophic, statistically speaking. There's not any more deaths than there has ever been, and yet we're being told about them daily, and we're being shocked by the sheer numbers of people who are dying. This is a service, I think, to the church because such an awareness should never have been lost upon the Christian. J.I. Packer recalls this uncanny awareness of death in the Puritans, and I want to quote him at length from an introduction of his book, A Quest for Godliness. He says... The Puritans experienced systematic persecution for their faith. What we today think of as the comforts of home were unknown to them. Their medicine and surgery were rudimentary. They had no aspirins, tranquilizers, sleeping pills, or antidepressant pills, just as they had no social security or insurance. In a world in which more than half the adult population died young, and more than half the children born died in infancy, disease, distress, discomfort, pain, and death were their constant companions. They would have been lost had they not kept their eyes on heaven and known themselves as pilgrims traveling home to the celestial city. The Puritans' awareness that in the midst of life we are in death just one step from eternity, gave them a deep seriousness, calm yet compassionate with regard to the business of living, as it were, packed up, ready to go. You see, the Christian lives a life headed toward death. More than this, a life headed toward eternal life. And so I think there's a few implications for this. These are the signs. Unrest at every level and persecution unto death. We need to understand that Christ is central in the matter. Just as he exhorts us after giving us all these signs. Look up, raise your head, for your redemption is nigh. Jesus is central. First is that our persecution is for Christ. Look at the occasion that he said was for our persecution. You're, you're not going to be persecuted because you're such a good person or such a loving individual. Understand the world hated Christ and they're going to hate those who truly follow him. We have this weird practice of evaluating people in public forums as well, they're good people. They must be Christian. Well, I just wonder where this credential of being a good person is going to land in this event of the coming of Christ. Our persecution is for Christ's namesake, and more than this, Christ is in our testimony. 
Look, look also at the source of instigation. Before all these, these great signs are going to come and be full, He says what? They're going to lay their hands on you and persecute you and they're going to deliver you up to the synagogues. They're going to look for a testimony. They're going to ask the Christian, what does all this mean? I think this paints for us a picture much like that of Stephen, the first martyr in Acts chapter 7. And he recounts for them all the events that lead up to Christ's fulfillment and His crucifixion. And I think like Stephen, we will be hated all the more. Christ must be on our lips. And there's the simple... I mean, reality that the tradition holds that all but one of the apostles who heard this teaching that we're reading from this morning, all but one was killed for their faith. You must know success doesn't come from our level of education or preparation for response, but that our testimony comes by the Spirit as we are nurtured by the word of Christ. Right here, all of this, all that we read. There's a third implication, and that's just the reality of that Christ is returning. We've got to be reminded of that exhortation, uh, look to the heavens, for your Redeemer is nigh. Sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we don't look at all for a Messiah. There are Jews who don't look for a, a Messiah at all. They are comfortable in the world that they live in. And I think just as guilty, there are Christians who don't look for the coming again of Christ. We can't be consumed or concerned with the sign of the times. He says, don't worry about the rumors of wars. Don't even worry about what you'll say. I'll take care of that. Instead, look to me is what Jesus exhorts us with. You see the signs, look to me. He doesn't tell us to write books about the times or to invest in a different way. He says, look to the heavens. I think there's a number of ways in which these prophecies have been partially fulfilled throughout history. Still yet, salvation in this ultimate sense, from this ultimate end, in this judgment of God at Christ's coming, that salvation is only going to come by looking to Christ and Christ alone. Matthew recounts the exact same teaching in chapter 24. And yet it's even in this, I feel like in Christ that he says it's him who protects us, his elect, from being deceived. And it's Christ who will see coming in glory upon a cloud like lightning in Matthew's account. We need to look to our Redeemer, for He's near. 
Jesus doesn't leave us alone here. He equips us for his coming. It's my personal conviction that we've witnessed a great many men's hearts failing them for fear after looking after these things which are coming on the earth that we read in verse 26. Seems like every day brings news of dignitaries being deposed of thrones, celebrities forcefully humbled, and even university and even seminary uh, presidents falling from orthodoxy and orthopraxy. People of influence are scrambling to find protection, whether it's in some new movement or, or region or relationship. And I don't think they're going to find the protection that they want. Christ gives us our method of protection in Himself. First, He tells us to avoid distraction. You know what's coming. You see the signs. You know what's coming. He says in verse 34, Take heed to yourselves, lest any, at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. What that means is being overwhelmed with dissipation or it communicates a wasteful indulgence in this world that leaves us disoriented regarding eternity. When we become consumed, whether it's, it's of our possessions, our safety, our comfort, maybe even our coping through drunkenness, the Christian does not grow lax or numb in their response with drunkenness. Our cares are not with the longevity of our investments or temporary comforts or in vain pursuits or relationships. We're in constant watchfulness of Christ's coming. I think sometimes we shun such an anxiety. I think this produces in us a bit of anxiety and maybe we're right to become anxious in such a wicked world. We sometimes overlook the reality that anxiety can produce in us a hyper-awareness. It does that when we enter large crowds or unfamiliar territories or if we have our kids with us. We should allow this anxiety that mounts in us to propel us to fixate upon Jesus as He's revealed in His Word. And we should avoid everything that distracts us from this purpose. Secondly, Jesus tells us, watch and pray in verse 36. Listen, there's nothing that gives us this presumptuous stand at Christ coming again. We watch for his coming and we pray and petition of God's grace through his son. This passage doesn't pretend to remove us from the doom of the coming judgment. Instead, it promises to bring us through that. Psalm 1 tells us that the ungodly, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Our escape 
are not perishing in this day is not by our own righteousness. It's not by a secret rapture. It comes in our ability to stand before the Son in judgment as we rely upon His grace and redemption. And so for the Christian, we can take heart because all has been fulfilled in Him. What's left for us to do but to look to the heavens for our Redeemer is nigh. Stay in His Word. Remain in prayer. And don't be distracted. So we look to the heavens for our Redeemer is nigh. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We look to you. Father, as we bow our heads in prayer, we raise our heads in expectation. Father, we ask your forgiveness as many of us make plans for the next year and the next day. We've grown anxious on what the future holds given our given the pandemic, given social turmoil, given international relationships. Lord, even as we look to the church, Father, I pray instead that we would grow consumed with Christ. Father, that we would be a people who, in, who are enamored with your word. Father, who are expectant of your coming. Father, that everything that we do, our every program, our every study, our every word of worship, Father, that it would only serve us in preparing us for your coming. Lord, let us not look to our budgets or our reputations or our whatever. Lord, we ask that you beckon us to yourself through your Son. And Father, that each one of us have the much needed reminder that you are coming and that you are not slow in your coming. Lord, I pray that you would be, be with us, that you would show us your grace for we're going to need it. And so we look to you. We look to you to heal our sickness. We look to you to provide for us, to grow us and nurture us, to bring us to maturity. We look to you to come again. Father, that you would open our eyes and ready our hearts 
that we would feel the closeness of our Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. Our goal is to help you and equip you to serve in the way God is calling you. This is where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and we grow together in Jesus Christ. We hope that you continue to tune in and to subscribe so that you don't miss a single Sunday.